1941, the United States entered into World War II, and as a result of that, there was many young people, about 18 years old, 19 years old, some of them, the ages of some of you seniors, that enlisted in the army to go and fight this battle against this evil. They had this common purpose of defeating the enemy and taking this battle head on. Now, what they had to do was they had to go get trained for the battle, right? So they were sent to boot camp. They were sent to various uh, uh, military outposts where they were trained on how to be soldiers, both in strength and in uh, ability and mental capacity and will and emotion. They were being trained up so that they were ready and equipped for the battle that was at hand. And even within that group, they had smaller platoons, right? These little platoons, these little squadrons that uh, about, you know, 10, 15, 20 people, that would vary in size, and they were uh, pouring into each other, right? They had to come alongside each other. They had to strengthen each other. They had to help one another. They trained together. They pushed one another because if they weren't a strong group, they'd go out into the battle and, and die, right? Especially with World War II, this was a battle that a lot of lives were lost, it was a matter of life and death. Well, at the, in the same way, the church is a training grounds for Christians. And we as Christians have a common goal to reach the lost souls in our community with the gospel, as well as discipling each other with God's word. We have this mission, a common mission together as Christians a common mission to go out into the field that is a spiritual battle that's taking place right now. Now, before you check out from this sermon and say, oh, wow, a sermon on church, the importance of church, I'm here already. I'm good. I don't need this sermon. I don't need to hear this. I don't need to hear another sermon about why church is good or why it's important that I pour into my friend. I already think church is important some of you might be saying. Well, even if all that is true, we need to listen to this sermon afresh, right? This is something that we need to be renewed and um, reminded of on a regular basis because there's a spiritual battle that's going on right now. Outside these walls, in the world that we're facing, we need to be trained up and we need each other to build one another up to go and be able to face that battle that's at hand. Now, some of you you may be taking church for granted. This is something that you do on a weekly basis, right? This is, you just, you go into Wednesdays, you go into Sundays. It's something that you've done for your whole life, right? And you've forgotten the importance and the beauty of what this place is, what this community is, what this fellowship of believers is. Some of you simply are going through the motions, you're coming here, you're, you're doing the things you're supposed to do, you're checking off the box, you may be even uh, going above and beyond and serving your church, but you're doing it simply because you're told to do it, not because you understand that there's a task at hand, that there's a, a, a mission, a battle going on in the world around us. Others of you are like, I, I have no idea why the church is important. Please tell me, sir, why is the church important? Well, we're going to talk about that today. This sermon is for all of you. It's essential right? That you understand that church is fundamental to the Christian life, to Christian living. Open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at just two verses together this morning. 
verses 24 and 25. I want you all to look at this text. So open up your Bibles with me. Let's look at this together as I read it with a little bit of commentary for you. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up. Okay, so first consider. That's a, we're really thinking, we're contemplating, we're really trying to find out what we need to do, how we can do this. What do we need to do? We need to stir up. I stop there again because stir up, uh, you know, oftentimes we think, you know, that could be, that could be positive, that could be negative. What is it? What is it? Well, it's actually a negative word, and it's, it really means to incite or to provoke. It's like you're kind of pestering. You're trying to get someone like, come on, let's do this. Let's go. Push them. Keep going. That's what stirring up means. So, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, to do good deeds, to live in righteousness, to continue on in good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Not neglecting to meet together. It's talking about an assembly. We're talking specifically in this passage about a group of Christians, church, right? Not neglecting coming together, the assembling of Christians. And this is during the time uh, that Hebrews, the pastor who wrote this, because as we remember, a lot of us actually, we just went through Hebrews, and it is a sermon. It's an exposition. It's a sermon. Um, And in this section right now, he's trying to encourage his congregation because there is persecution going on, right? In 70 AD, there was a lot of issues going on with the church. The Romans didn't like the Christians, and they were trying to take them out. So there was persecution for Jews becoming Christians at the time. So they're trying to encourage them. And a lot of people were avoiding the church. They're also avoiding the church out of just mere laziness. They just didn't want to show up. They didn't want to go. And it goes on. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near, all the more is the the greater increase. They're trying to increase in good works, increase in encouragement towards uh, other believers. As you see the day drawing near, that's, of course, Jesus coming back. In fact, if you look at the ESV, it has the day capitalized. Not all of the translations of this have that capitalized, but ESV capitalizes it to help us understand, okay, this is when Christ is returning. This is when judgment's coming. This is the end of time, right? So we want to be urgent with pouring into each other and encouraging one another. The first point I want you to write down is, is it's plain and clear. Don't neglect Christian fellowship. It's very simple. Don't neglect Christian fellowship. That looks like church. That looks like discipleship. I put sub points here. So if you want to keep track with me, sub point A is just the importance of the church. Why is the church important? Some of you asked that question in the intro through by way of me. Why is church important? What is church? Well, the church is the body of Christ. What does that mean? It's a body of believers. We're worshiping God. We're glorifying God. And we're doing that through the teaching of his word, discipling his people, and evangelizing people, getting the gospel out to to other people. That's what the church does. Church is both all Christians, right? So there's two types of church. We have the universal church, and we have the local church. And the universal church is all Christians throughout time. And then we have a local church, which is like a body of, of, of people like this, right? It's not a building. It's, it's us assembling together. That's the local church. So there's two separate uh, things we're talking about here. So why is it important? Turn to Ephesians 4. Let's look at Ephesians 4. I want to look at verses 11 and 12. Let's look at that together. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 12. And it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. 
So, of course, these are offices that were found, uh, used to found the church. And apostles and prophets, we are no longer necessary. We have the canonized scripture. We don't need those positions anymore. But we still have evangelists. We still have teachers. We still have shepherds. We have pastors. And they're used, how? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, the church. So they're equipping the saints. They're training them up. Church is used as a training ground to push people out into the world, getting ready for the battle that's at hand. I have four reasons I want you to write down for why the church is important. Four reasons. Number one, the church equips Christians through the teaching of God's word. That's what we're doing right now. We're preaching God's word. We're teaching you. We're equipping you with what the Bible says on how you should live your life out into the world. How you should grow in your sanctification. How you should grow in your holiness and your Christ-likeness. We're using God's word to teach you how to do that. The second thing I want you to write. The church strengthens Christians through praising of God and worship. So worship, right? The church strengthens Christians through worship. Through singing of songs. We just got done singing these songs of praise to God. When we hear those words and we listen to those words... They grow our understanding of God, and they grow our love and our desire to pursue God. Number three, the church protects Christians by opposing false teachers. The church protects Christians from false teaching. So false teaching is all throughout the world. We see it everywhere right now. We have false worldviews, false ideologies. We have people that want to pull you away from this assembly they want to teach you something that's contrary to what is true. The fourth thing for why the church is important is the church provides Christians with opportunities to serve each other. You guys have opportunities here in this body to pour into each other and to use your gifts to serve each other as well as serving the church, which really, in, in a sense, is you're serving each other through serving the church, using your gifts to do that. The church provides those opportunities for us. Now, when we think about the importance of church, we think about that it's a priority. Church must be a priority in your life. It takes precedent over everything. Now, it's easy just to say that, right? And some of you want to claim that. But church is not a social club. Church is not a place where we assemble together and we are here just to hang out with our buddies. Church is meant to equip you. Church is meant to glorify God and to proclaim his name to the world. We have this mission here as a church to live for Christ and to bring the gospel to others. Church has to be a priority, guys. When you think about other priorities that you have in your life, if church is not number one, you're doing it wrong. If you're putting sports, if you're putting even schoolwork, now, those things are good, right? Sports, fine, good. That's, I played sports in high school, right? Sports are good. They teach you good lessons. Um, homework, of course, you got to get good grades, right? You got to get to college. You got to graduate. But the priority that we have must always be church. And that doesn't mean that you're at every single church event. Right? That does not mean that you have to make it to every single thing. The, the point I'm trying to make is that, prior, the, that church takes priority over the other things in your life. It's far more important. Because of the spiritual battle, the real spiritual battle that we have going on right now, we need church. 
Those other things are not going to equip you for the spiritual battle that we have at hand. Now that we clarified what church is, let's talk about the importance of fellowship. Letter B, don't neglect fellowship. Don't neglect fellowship within the church, more specifically. Acts 2, 42 and 46, I'll just read them for you. Acts 2, 42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now these verses apply, uh, imply that we have to be together, right? We live in a world where a lot of Christians want to say that church is virtual, that we can watch online, that we can just show up when we want, but that's not what church is. That's a benefit. That's a, a tool that we can use, but that's just it. It's a tool. That is not church. So what does church fellowship even look like? What does church fellowship look like? Well, church fellowship looks like showing up, which you guys did. You came to church. You're here. You got it. We're being devoted to the teaching of God's word. That's what Acts 2.42 says. We're learning from the scriptures. We're praying together. We're holding each other accountable. We're serving each other. We can't do that unless we show up. We can't do that unless we prioritize church over the other things in our lives. The other aspect of church is those Wednesday nights that we have, beach nights, right? We have small groups. And then after beach nights, we have regular small groups here on campus. The importance of small groups, Pastor Mike always says it, and I love it, is we're turning our chairs from Sunday going forward to facing each other. And we're starting to talk with one another. We're pouring into each other. We're trying to apply the sermon to our lives. And that's what small groups are for. That's the benefit of small groups. Small groups are a part of church. If you're just showing up Sunday, you're missing the whole experience of what church is. True North events, right? That's fellowship. Think about the time we were breaking bread together, as it says in Acts 2. So they're coming together, they're eating together, they're having fun events together, they're hanging out together, they're growing in love for one another. And this all draws us closer in unity together so that we can glorify God better. It allows us to glorify God better when we are together in unity. It builds up the body of Christ. When I was in high school, like I said, I played sports in high school. I played basketball. And we went on this trip to Hawaii my senior year. And in Hawaii, we hung out together, right? We, we ate food together. We spent all day together. It's kind of like revival, but for sport. We were there for a whole week. And during this trip, we not only hung out, just as, you know, us Christians, we fellowship and eat together, we also watched film together, right? We were trying to scout the other team. We'd watch their games, and we'd want to see how they do, what they're good at, what they're bad at, and try to expose uh, what they were bad at so we can get the win. We all had this same purpose, right? We had this mindset. We had this same goal in mind that we wanted to win the tournament. And in fact, we smoked everybody. Smoked everybody. I think... I think the, the, the worst win we had was by like 18 points. But that's not the reason I bring that up, although we did win the tournament. That's not the reason I bring that up. The reason I bring that up is because during that trip, we came together, right? We poured into each other. We fellowshiped together. We, well, we hung out together. It was a great time. And we also learned together. We learned about the team, and we trained up for the task at hand, and we accomplished that task. In the same way, when the church fellowships together and they grow together and they serve together, right, they become a stronger 
body of believers to go and serve Christ together. We're more effective in the work of the gospel and bringing God glory when we are strong, when we come together in strength. Now, another reason not to neglect church, well, letter C, is church is vital for our perseverance. It's vital for our perseverance. How many of you guys have your license? Show me your hands. How many, how many of you, I don't want to embarrass you guys. Did it take you guys multiple times? It's like one time. It's like, Shay, call her out. I'll embarrass the leader. So there was this woman in South Korea, old woman, 60 years old. I read about this as I was prepping this sermon. And this woman really wanted to get her license. She wanted to learn how to drive a car. And that was, that was like her purpose in life. <laughs> That's what she wanted to do. She lived in a small village. They didn't drive much. So for her, this was like an amazing thing. Like, wow, I get to drive a car? I want to do this. So she went and took the driver test, and she failed. She failed. So she tried again, right? She persevered. She went back, and she failed again. She didn't pass. 947 attempts later... This South Korean woman passes her test. She did it. I am so proud of this woman. She did it. She, look, she persevered, right? There was a lot of difficulties. There was a lot of trials in that 947, well, 950 attempts to pass this driving test. But praise God she did it. Now, in the same way, we must persevere in the Christian life. We're going to face this, this type of persecution, these trials in our life. We're going to face pushback. We're going to face difficulties. And we need to persevere. We need to be, it's funny, like this woman and persevere. In fact, it's funny, this woman actually became a national hero in South Korea because she passed this driving test. Little side note, I thought it was hilarious when I read that. She, she ended up being in a Kia Soul com commercial because, yeah, her life changed because she failed so hard. It was, it was amazing. I don't recommend that. Don't do that. Now, we need the church to persevere till the end, right? To succeed in our mission, to bringing the gospel to the lost souls in our community, we need to live a life for Christ together. 1 Peter 4, let, yeah, let's look at that. Please turn to that. 1 Peter 4, let's look at verses 12 through 14. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13. Guys, we're going to face persecution. And Peter makes it very known to us in this passage. Let's look at it. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. When we get trials, when we face persecution, this is something that we should be expecting. This is something that we're ready for. But rejoice. What? We got to rejoice? Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. We've got to rejoice because we suffer the same way that our king suffered. That's an amazing verse right there. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So as Peter promises us here in scripture, we will face trial. We will face persecution of some sort in our lives, whether small or great, hopefully small, but it could be great. Think about this. 
Think about what's going on in the world right now. Think about the persecution targeted towards Christians that's going on in the world right now. We see it in other countries. A lot of people are being thrown into prison for simply preaching what the Bible says. A lot of people are being thrown in prison simply because they proclaim something that the world hates. Also, we're seeing it now in our country because of the Roe v. Wade decision. We're seeing Christian pregnancy centers that really just exist to help, um, you know, abandoned babies being destroyed. We're seeing this as we speak right now. How important is the churches to come together, to be there together, and to, to persevere together and to go back out in the field and get ready for the battle? There's a spiritual battle happening right now, and the church is necessary to be prepared for that persecution. We need the church in times like this. Galatians 6, 1 through 2, I'll just read that one for you. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So we're, we're helping each other. Keep watch on yourself, though, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The church is a refuge for accountability, for restoration. When you get lost in sin, when you are struggling, you can come to church and there's people there that can help you, that can disciple you, that can get you uh, back into the right relationship with God and sent back out into the field, sent back out into the mission field. We can persevere against temptation and sin with help of our church brothers and sisters here. Letter D, pitfalls. Okay, so what are the pitfalls uh, if we neglect church? What happens if we neglect church? Fourth of July is tomorrow. I don't know if you guys knew that. That's when America was born, greatest country of all time. And fireworks. Fireworks are awesome. I love fireworks. When I was a kid, my dad and I would go out to, um, I think it was actually Lake Havasu, which is ironic, but we'd go out there because fireworks are legal in Arizona, and we would buy the biggest fireworks. In fact, there's this one stand that has massive fireworks. It's like the whole gas, you walk in, you think you're going to go buy like an energy drink, and it's like, boom, fireworks everywhere. And we got uh, those, those mortars, so you like put them on the floor, and they're, pew, and they're really big. They're like as close to illegal fireworks as you can get, even for Arizona, but Arizona, everything's legal. And on fireworks, they have these huge warning labels. And they say, hey, don't be stupid. You don't want to blow your hand off. Well, my dad and I are stupid. So we took the, now, okay, I don't, don't do this tomorrow. I'm just, I'm trying to make a point. Don't do this tomorrow. So accountability, like, no. Grab the mortar. Was holding in my hand because we wanted to shoot it that way. We didn't want it to go in the air. So we did. We shot it that way. First one, successful, awesome. It was really cool. And then the second one, okay, awesome. It was really cool. Now, the third one, we shoot off, and the, the back blows out because you're not supposed to hold it because the warning says it, and it smacks right into my dad's car. The whole front bender got like, I don't know, it was like ashy or something. It was not good because we ignored the label. Don't be stupid. Well, we wanted to be stupid, so we neglected the warning label. In the same way, if you neglect the church, if you neglect the people of the church, you're going to have a lot of problems, a lot of problems that arise as a result of it. You can fall into this idea, I don't know if you guys have heard of this, uh, lone wolf Christianity. It's like solo Christianity. I can do this on my own. 
I don't need the church. I don't need each uh, people, you know. I mean, for you guys, the first thing is not relevant because you're here. But some of you may be showing up, but you're just hanging out by yourself. You don't want the discipleship. You don't want accountability. Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. person in isolation is self-centered. Isolation is, is not good. It's not good for the Christian. In fact, it's contrary to what Christianity is all about. Christianity is community. Christianity is coming together and pouring into one another. It requires community. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, on the opposite, on the, on the opposite end of this, um, it says, I'll read it to you. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. Now, Solomon's talking about work here, but the principle still applies. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. If he's by himself, well, that's a bummer. That's a problem you have. Verse 11, again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? You need sustenance. You need help. You need um, other people. And though a man might prevail against, sorry, though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly uh, broken. So what he's saying there at the end, he's like, hey, three is even better. Get a community, get a group of people, get together and pour into each other. So working together is so much better. That's what the Christian life's about, coming together. You can't be discipled unless you're talking to someone else, right? You can't get saved unless someone shares the gospel with you. So it requires people. It requires interaction, accountability. You can't hold yourself accountable to some degree, maybe, but you need other people to hold you accountable, your spiritual growth will be stagnant. That's another problem that can arise. Your spiritual growth can stagnate. You're not being edified by the teaching of God's word, right? You're not growing in your sanctification or your holiness. No accountability, as we talked about. No one can spur you on to love and good deeds. Also, you can be subject to false teaching. That's a big problem, right? When we neglect church, we can be subject to false teaching. 1 John 4, let's look at that together. Open to, open to that passage. 1 John 4, let's look at verses 1 through 6. 1 John 4, 1 through 6. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, right? Remember, we have this spiritual battle going on, and false prophets are perpetuating that battle. They're trying to pull us out away from the church. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Right? So those who have orthodox doctrine. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. He, he makes it pretty clear for us. John's saying, hey, if they're preaching Christ, good. If they're not preaching Christ, bad. Little children. Sorry, verse 3b. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Verse four, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God, right? So if you're from God, you've been equipped. You are not going to 
uh, fall into this false teaching, right? But if you're neglecting the church, if you're not being equipped, if you're not here together, if you're not being discipled and being poured into, well, you're going to succumb to false teaching because you're not being corrected. Even, even if you did, let's say you're coming to church, and even if you did fall to false teaching, it's going to be quickly corrected because you're here, right? You're being discipled here. You're being taught God's word. But if you're neglecting, that can't happen. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Guys, we need to hear this. We need to hear this. We live in a world full of deception and lies that are trying to take you away from the truths of Scripture. This is not me saying that, oh, hey, don't ever like pursue or don't ever research, uh, you know, false religions or don't ever research, you know, bad things. Like, learn, right? Learn. What we have is truth. We don't fear false teaching. We have truth. We battle the false teaching. You might be thinking, Roy, I go to church all the time. Maybe you're here 25 hours a week and eight days a week. Maybe you're in serving in nine different ministries and you're surviving off the food in the, the ministry food in the kitchens, which some of you are, I'm sure, facilities. And <laughs> I get it, right? You're here all the time. You're here all the time. Good. You're here. You're bought in. You're sold out for the church. Now, how can you be pouring into other people? Verse 24 and 25, back to our text, Hebrews 10. It says, I, I split this up kind of awkwardly, but I'm going to read verse 24, then verse 25b. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And verse 25b says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Point number two push one another towards godly living. Push one another towards godly living. You have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to stir up. Remember what I said at the beginning, the stirring up is inciting. You're provoking. You're encouraging strongly. I, <laughs> when I was thinking about this, I was thinking like you're inciting a riot. Like you're like imagine inciting a riot, but you're not out destroying buildings and wreaking havoc and causing mayhem. No, you're inciting a riot of good deeds. You got people running around like, oh, your house needs painted? Paint bombed. Boom, house painted. You need your, mo your lawn mowed? 50 people come, lawns mowed. Right? You need your car fixed? Engine's been changed in less than five minutes because we got a riot of people that want to do good works. That's kind of the incitement. We want people to be stoked to do good works. We want people to be passionate about doing good deeds. And you have a responsibility to stir that up within each other. In the same way, the text is saying Christians should be pushing other Christians towards godly living. Hebrews 3, 13. I want you to write that down, but I'll read it for you. It says, but exhort one another. That's encouraging and urging. Exhort one another every single day, as long as it is called today which is every day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, that you are ready for the spiritual battle that's at hand. It's the, it's the Christian's responsibility to do that. It's the Christian's responsibility to follow up with their friend, right? To check in on them. How are you doing spiritually? What'd you learn about the DBR? How are you, how's your prayer life going? Have you been going to church? Hey man, I haven't seen you at church in a while. What's going on with that, Right? That's not, it's not a mean thing to do. We should be doing that. We should be stirring up these good works in one another. That's how we're going to grow in strength. Maybe you're really good at being consistent in prayer. 
Well, someone's not good at being consistent in prayer, and they need your encouragement. They need your help. Maybe you're really good at evangelism. You know how to share the gospel with a lot of people. Well, a lot of us need help with that. So why don't you help that person and pour into that person and stir up good works in that person to go and do that, strengthen them. Perhaps you no longer struggle with the particular sin that you know your friend struggles with. How did you overcome that, right? How did you battle against that? Let's divulge that information into each other. Let's disciple one another. Let's pour into each other there. Again, when I was in high school, I played basketball, and there was this term called gym rat. You guys heard that term before? Gym rat? Is that still a term? Yeah, gym rat. Well, a gym rat is like, you know, you're in the gym, and you see a rat, and they live there. So that's basically someone who's in the gym constantly. They're, you know, they're eating there. They're playing one-on-one with their buddies. They're there constantly. And me and my buddies, we wanted to be that, right? We were eating food there. We were hanging out together. And what we would do is we'd play one-on-one. We'd work on our weaknesses. We'd work on our strengths. And we needed each other in order to do that. And if, honestly, if my friends weren't like, hey, let's go to the gym today, I probably would have been like, oh, I don't know. I'm good. No, I don't, I don't, I'm fine. But they'd be like, no, man, we're going to the gym. Like, let's go, let's go to the gym. Let's play basketball. We got, we got a task at hand. Let's do this right? He was inside. He was getting me stoked about it. Like, let's go do this. He's provoking me to get to the gym. How are you pushing your brothers and sisters towards godliness? How are you provoking love and good deeds in other Christians? I want you to be a church rat. Kind of weird. You know, be here all the time, serve each other, pour into each other, encouraging one another. But there's something important to remember How can you stir up if you're not first doing the loving good deeds that you're telling other people to do, right? 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16 says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You know, this is also reminiscent of Matthew where he talks about the log in the eye, right? Hypocritical judgment. Let's get the log out and, and then you can tell me, how to live my life. Are you walking in good deeds, right? Are you doing the things that you want other people to grow in and that you're stirring up in one another? Be an example of someone who pursues Christ. Letter B, your responsibility to encourage, right? So letter A, your responsibility to stir up and then letter B, your responsibility to encourage now. It's a little bit different, similar but different. Encouragement is expressed through positive support and reminders, Right? You're encouraging someone positively. First Thess 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, write that down, says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. It's a positive encouragement. We live in a crazy, dark, and sinful world. We need this positive encouragement. We need motivation. We need help from our brothers and sisters in Christ every single day. We need to be encouraging one another towards godliness. Also, we encourage through correction, through warning. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Have you ever had a friend tell you something that you really didn't want to hear? You really didn't like? I'm sure. Me too. Cuts to the core and you're, like, and you're angry. Oh, man, why did they say that to me? And then you get home and you're like, that's so true. That's me. I'm sorry. And then you go change. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes it's necessary. 
In fact, it's probably necessary a lot more often than we think because we're kind of dumb. <laughs> we do something stupid and we need people to tell us, hey man, that was pretty stupid. I do a lot of things stupid. My wife has to constantly tell me, hey, don't do that. Don't be stupid. We need that correction. We need that encouragement from one another, both positive and negative encouragement. I mean, you think about if a friend's on a verge of sinning, if they're about to go do something, you know, spiritually stupid, then you want to tell, you want to call them out, be like, hey, don't, no, come back, come back to the right path. Let's, let's walk forward together. This is what you should be doing. This is how you should be living your life. Maybe they're walking uh, stagnant in their faith and you want to stir up and encourage them in the right direction, in righteousness. Hebrews 10, 25, the last subpoint here, it says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This implies a sense of urgency. We have this sense of urgency to go and do these good works because Christ can come any moment. Christ can come any day. And if we have a stronger church, we can reach more people with the gospel. If we have a stronger church and ministry, we can be more disciple, bringing God more glory, exalting him with everything that we do. I want you to think about this. Think about the results of a church that does this, right? That's stirring up one another actively, that is encouraging one another faithfully. Well, that's gonna be a very strong church, right? That's gonna be an effective body of believers that can go reach people with the gospel. Think about also the impact that it's gonna have on the community around you if you have a bunch of people that love Christ and wanna serve Christ and that are strong in their faith. Think about our culture how that would change as a result. Look, if you haven't, if I haven't made it clear that church is important, I think, I think I have, but church is important, right? Fellowship's important. Coming together as a body of believers is vital for the Christian life because we have a battle going on. We have spiritual warfare going on. In order to win this battle, we need each other. We need the church to equip us and train us to go out into the field and to reach people, um, to be effective with the mission that we have at hand. So I'll make it as simple as I can. As Pastor John always likes to say, with the revival cup in hand, what does he say? He says, come to church. Let's pray. Lord, help us with this. Something so simple and something so basic that I think we often neglect and forget. Help us, Lord, to both understand truly the importance of what church is to not take it for granted and to be pouring into each other, to be serving one another, caring for one another, exhorting one another. God, because there is a battle going on in the world around us, outside of these walls, outside of our church, outside of this assembly, we have a battle going on that we want to be victorious in. And the church is necessary for that. The, the, the fellowship of other believers. It's necessary for that, God. So I pray that we know that, we understand that, and we start to apply that to our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.